pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we do turn to You now. We know that the Lord Jesus declared Himself to be the bread of life come down from heaven. And Lord, we also know that He speaks of His Word as bread, manna from heaven that feeds our souls. And we pray that that would be the case today, that both by the Word spoken and the Word made visible in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that You would minister to us Your grace. And so we come to You by faith in Jesus, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And you'll find that on page 978 of the Pew Bible. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. Paul has been talking in this section after spending three chapters discussing the grace of the gospel in Jesus Christ and the secure blessings that we have in Him turns now to tell the church, here is how you ought to live as people who have experienced my grace. And so he has been talking about both unity and holiness. And in chapter 5, he continues his discussion on how the church ought to live in holiness. We might ask the question, what, what motivates us to live a life of holiness? Why should we seek that out? Well, Paul answers that to some extent in this particular passage, even as he gives us commands to follow in terms of pursuing a holy life. Read with me here. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you uh, were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When I was in high school, a friend of mine stayed with me for a week. Now this friend came from a home that many would call today dysfunctional. Uh, being over there, his father was an alcoholic, his mother was constantly running around town, busying herself, but neglecting her children. And it was a family in which he did not feel as though he was actually valued. And when he came to stay with us for a week, he was used to setting his own schedule living his life on his own terms, coming and going as he pleased. And so the first day that he was there, he went after school and did some things and didn't come back to our house until about 10 o'clock that night. 
My parents were very frustrated and they took him into the living room and they talked with him and they said, if you're going to stay here, you have to follow our rules. And our rules are you need to be in by such and such a time so that we know that you're safe. He came back to me in my room later on that evening and said, you know, I've never felt so cared for in my life. That somebody actually wanted to know where I was, what I was doing, and why I wasn't home. And the rest of the week, he was a different person. Because you see, it's when love and concern for people comes into our lives that we actually begin to respond in love to those people. The people that we respect, the people that we love and cherish, those are the people that we want to be like. Think of a son who despise and hates his father because his father is abusive or his father is neglectful. He wants nothing to do with his father and he would say to that father or to someone else who would ask him, do you want to grow up to be like your dad? No, I do not want to grow up to be like my dad. I want to be anybody but him. But a son who loves his dad and cherishes his dad because his dad loves him is the son who respects him and says, now that's the person that I want to be. I want to be like him. And it's that very same motive that the Apostle Paul touches his finger on here in verse 1 when he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to imitate God. Why? Because we're beloved children. Because God the Father loves His people. Because He has poured out His grace upon us in Jesus Christ. Because He has saved us for Himself. And from all of eternity and to all of eternity, the Heavenly Father cherishes and loves His children. And it's that that is the motive that Paul touches on here that is thought to be the motive for every Christian. That we would be imitators of God, mimicking Him, living life after Him, because He loves us so much. Paul uses this language of being imitators, and the Scriptures do on many occasions. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to His disciples on the night when He was betrayed, and He washed the disciples' feet, do as I have done to you. Paul even says to the church at Thessalonica, he praises them because they have imitated the churches in Judea. Imitation is one of the ways in which God's people learn the ways of the Gospel. That we look at other Christians and we see how much they receive grace from God. And we see how much they want to love God. And we follow suit. And we do the same with our Heavenly Father. We experience His mercy. And so we want to become His imitators. And He tells us how to do that here in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's the imagery of the temple that the worshiper enters into the temple with a pure heart and he offers his sacrifice to God and says, now I want to adore you, I want to praise you. And it's the picture of Jesus who comes and spares nothing but gives him whole, his whole self up to God. And is able to walk into the temple, the true temple in heaven, and to experience the embrace of His heavenly Father because He's held nothing back and given everything to His Father. And He wants us to walk in that same kind of wholehearted 
obedience. That we would walk in love and be imitators of God. And he tells us how. There are three things here. First is this. That we imitate God, first of all, by longing for His life of purity. Longing for His life of purity. Paul says here in verse 3, speaking of immorality and impurity and covetousness, that these ought not to be part of our lives. That we ought instead to love the character of God. After all, isn't that why we love God? Because He tells us the truth. Because He gives good gifts. Because He didn't spare His own Son. It's because of His glorious character that we love Him. And we're to delight in that kind of character so that we want to emulate it and serve Him in that way with a life of purity. Now in verse 3, when he speaks of these terms, he talks about sexual immorality and all impurity, which could refer to sexuality or just any kind of thing against the law of God and covetousness. He says, these things ought not to be named among you. Paul may be thinking specifically about sexual immorality here. It's a term that's to refer to anything, any kind of sexual activity outside the bonds of lawful marriage between one man and one woman. And it may be that the impurity that he is speaking of here is referring to similar acts that go along with that. And the covetousness referring to coveting someone else's physical body. But it could be that he's speaking simply about general categories of sin here. But in either case, all three are self-oriented in nature. The way in which the world pursues sexuality in our day displays the fact that sex for the world often is very self-oriented in nature. The advertisements that we see on television and on the computer, every way that it is constantly put before our eyes and our ears, declares the fact that, yes, sex sells because people want to self-indulge in it. And the Christian has an altogether different view of sex. It's one of not just procreation, but of self-giving to declare to someone, I'm committed to you. That's the way Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians when he talks about, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians, where he talks about it being the one of the ways in which we bind ourselves together as husband and wife and become one flesh. And so it's not about me pleasing myself, it's about declaring to my wife or to my husband, I love you and I am committed to you. But this kind of sexual immorality that he speaks of here is one in which it's all about me, pleasing me. And my impurity is about pleasing me and my covetousness is about getting what I want for myself not being pleased with what God gives to me but longing for something beyond what he offers to me and this self-oriented nature of sin is also reflected in the way that Paul speaks of covetousness in verse 5 he says that it's idolatry the coveter is an idolater it's someone who is Worshipping a false god and able to gain something for himself. Almost like the image of walking by the temple of God if you are an Old Testament believer. Walking by the temple in order to go into the temple of a false god. And to worship that false god and to bow down before it. Because what you're receiving in the true temple isn't enough for you. Or isn't the way in which you want it for yourself. 
And so he says here it's all about self-indulgence and gaining satisfaction in a way in which God declares will only bring harm to his people. And when such things preoccupy our minds, he goes on to say they also enter into our speech. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. And so he says here, when those self-oriented sins are part of our lives and that they're the things that we talk about, they become part of our joking and our crude speech and filthiness of speech here. And he says all of these things are out of place. They're not proper among the saints. Paul's command here that sin must, be not, must not be named among the people of God is a warning to his people that these kinds of things will quickly take root in our lives if we are not careful. So often we give in to the idea that if I can, if I can just indulge a little bit, then it will placate and satisfy my desires and I'll move beyond those things. And we can convince ourselves and our minds that that's true if, if I can just have a little bit of it. But a little bit makes us long for a lot more. If you remember back in chapter 4, verse 19, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, the more I give myself to it, even if it's just a little bit, then I got to have more. And so Paul says here, it ought not to be named among you, or the NIV translates it, there ought to be no hint of it, because it's a slippery slope to destruction. And that may mean that we have to change our patterns of life in order to help avoid it. You might think of people that you spend time with, when and where may become an issue. Not so much that you cut yourself off from non-Christians or people who tempt you, but rather to say, I can't go there with you. I can't do that with you. Because I know it will lead to the destruction of my soul. Or what about our access to illicit sexual material on the internet? Or maybe cutting up our credit cards when we're tempted to spend when we don't really have the funds or maybe some of us actually need others to keep us accountable. Because when the pressure comes, our temptation is to overeat and turn to food and that becomes our God. And maybe I need someone around me who will help me so that in times of great stress, I turn to the Lord rather than to my false gods, my idols. Because Paul says here, it is a slippery slope and you will find yourself headlong into a life of destruction. But he tells us a remedy here as well. Verse 4. He says, instead of these things, let there be thanksgiving. In other words, this is a key to overcoming temptation. To putting sin to death. When we give thanks and praise to God. So that in those times of temptations, when I'm given over and I want so badly to indulge. What God says is if I will bow my knee before Him and begin to praise Him for all of His good gifts to me, for the fact that He didn't withhold His Son from me, thank Him and praise Him that He gives power to say no to sin. Praise Him for everything I could possibly praise Him for, that I have breath and life. Then it begins to take the power out of that temptation 
Because I love Jesus more than I love my sin. Do you see how when we begin to understand how much God loves us and we thank Him for it, we want to become imitators of Him. Not those who give ourselves over to sin. But as he says here, saints who are seeking to live a holy and pure life. So we're to be those who long for His purity of life, but also those who are looking forward to the inheritance of the saints. Verse 5 says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. God is giving a warning to His church. He lovingly warns His people because He knows the abuses that they can fall into. He knows the allurements of sin and how empty they are. And He knows that it could lead to a loss of everything. Now Paul has spoken of the great blessings of the Gospel of Jesus Christ earlier in this book. He's declared to us that God has loved us before the foundation of the world. He has declared to us that Jesus has died to save His people. He has declared to us that we are adopted into His family. How could it be then that He could warn us that we could lose and forsake our inheritance? Well, His warning here declares that those who live a life of sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness of sin won't inherit the kingdom because they evidence the fact that they don't have a heart renewed by grace, heart transformed by the mercies of God and the grace of the gospel. So Paul here says, verse 7, do not associate with those people. Now that's a bit of a mistranslation. It doesn't mean that we're not to associate with anyone else in the world. Because the rest of the Bible declares to us that we're to go into the world to make disciples. Actually, it better reads, do not partner with them. In other words, don't be yoked together with them. Don't be so bound together with them that they influence you in ways that are ungodly. In ways that take you away from the Lord Jesus and the Gospel. And that's what he declares here in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So he knows here that there are people who will deceive us, who will tell us falsehoods, who will put empty words before us and say, now this is good. And it's all a deception. And it will all lead to destruction, he says. Now, Paul knows that the Ephesians live in a sin-saturated culture. One in which there's temple prostitution in this great temple to the god, false god Artemis. One of the seven wonders of the world. And in that place, prostitutes gained money for themselves and for the priests by engaging in illicit sexual intercourse in order to provoke the gods to make the land fertile. They were surrounded by sex just like our culture is. Not only that, but they were surrounded by the, the Roman culture in which there was a great desire for power. There was the abuse of those who are much smaller and weaker for our own personal gain. And he says, now this is the culture that you're living in. And there is danger for you because there are empty words being declared to you by the culture, by every false truth being put before you. And if you're not careful, 
you might forfeit your place in the kingdom of God. And so we need to be mindful and vigilant because some of us know how difficult it is to actually resist temptation. Having come out of lifestyles of sin and to know the temptation that's constantly put before us, to know the voices that tempt us. Much like a, an athlete who is out running and hitting the pavement who hears the voice of pain in his body saying, you need to stop, you need to stop. And if he gives in, he doesn't reach the finish line. And so it's the, the call of the couch or the call of the pavement and the finish line. And Paul says, long for the finish line. Long for the prize that's at the end. The great inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And when we begin to keep our eye on the prize, this great inheritance that we have before us, and we see just how much God loves us that He would give us all of creation to enjoy. And we begin to say, now I want to imitate you. And I want to put sin to death and I want to live for the eternal inheritance that I have in Christ Jesus. For all, isn't that what Jesus did? Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before Him that He endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy of pleasing His Father. The joy of saving His people. And the joy of entering into His internal inheritance. This kingdom that He would receive from His heavenly Father. And that should be our delight too, so that we want to imitate and glorify our heavenly Father. And so we need to keep before us God's Word that helps us see two things. One, that all the sights and the sounds and the smoke and the mirrors of the temptations to sin are empty. And two, that the inheritance that we will receive will be far better than any experience that you could ever have in this life. Be filled with joy. Filled with pleasures forevermore. And when we begin to listen to those things, then we want to live for Him. Some of you who are here today may know the emptiness of what is offered in the culture. And it may just be that in your heart of hearts, you know that nagging voice that tells you, this will never satisfy me. That all the things that I could pursue in this culture, all the things that I can pursue in this life, will amount to nothing. But friends, I'm here to tell you, there is one who can satisfy your souls. And it's the Lord Jesus Himself who gives Himself to you and gives every good gift to His people. We ought to be those who long for the inheritance that He can give to us so that we live as imitators of God. Well, finally this. Not only longing for the inheritance, but we ought to be living as light in the Lord. Paul reminds the Ephesians here that they were once darkness. He says in verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. He doesn't say you lived in darkness. He says that you were dark. In other words, you are darkened in your minds and in your hearts and in your wills. You could not even see straight morally. You didn't have a grasp of who God really is. And you didn't want Him. But he says now you are light. Not just that you live in light but that you are light because you reflect the glory of God. You display His character 
to the world. And so what we are to do here is live as children who walk in the light, he says here in verses 8 and 9. And what that looks like then, in verse 10, tells us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Everyone who knows the love of God wants to please God. And so he says, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And one of the things that every Christian needs to understand, especially in times when we have fallen into temptation and sin, is that it actually is possible to please God. Some of us may feel as though there is no way that I can please Him. There's nothing that I can do that makes Him happy. It seems like I'm always failing. Paul says actually that's not true. Because those who are saved in Jesus, even the smallest thing that we do in obedience to God, He is pleased with. Just think of Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith that lists all of these different saints throughout the Old Testament. Praising them. And yet in each and every one of them, you can find gross sins in their lives. Yet God is pleased because of their faith in Jesus. Think of the woman who came to Jesus and broke open the alabaster jar of perfume that signified that she was a prostitute and she anointed Jesus. And what did he do? He praised her faith and he said, now she will be spoken of everywhere the gospel is preached. Friends, everyone who comes to Jesus in faith has the ability to please God because in His grace and in His mercy, He will receive even the smallest thing that we do in obedience to Him and be pleased with it. Now, what effect does all this have on the world? It tells us here in verses 11 through 14. Take no part in the fruit, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. He says our good deeds, walking in the light, actually exposes the sin in the culture, exposes the darkness, the, the shameful deeds that are done. It's not as though we're going and looking for dirt. It's just that when light comes into darkness, that's exactly what it finds. And so for us, we can't help but shine in the darkness and expose the sinful deeds of the culture. It may be going to a coworker who is in this downward spiral of destructive sin and saying, friend, let me help you. It may be loving a neighbor who is shunned by all the other neighbors on the block. And it exposes their hatred by the way in which you love them. It may be kindness offered to someone who is belligerent to you and it exposes their hatred in their own heart. It might be choosing to graciously decline an invitation to some form of entertainment that you know will tempt you to sin. But in each one of these ways, it begins to expose the darkness and expose sin simply because we're living for Jesus. Now that comes a lot of times with a bit of a kickback, doesn't it? But also it can come with something else. A real positive response, which is what he speaks of here in verse 13 and 14. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That makes sense. 
but for anything that becomes visible is light. Paul is saying that what we make visible becomes light. He's speaking about conversion here, of how when light begins to shine into darkness and people see our good deeds and praise our Heavenly Father and they want what we have, they begin to turn to Him. And so Paul says here, verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's saying when we go out into the world and live a life in the light, walking in the light, and what ends up happening is other people begin to reflect that light too. And for people who know the love of God, that's the very thing that we want. Because we want the One who sacrificed Himself, who gave everything He had, every treasure, the greatest treasure, His own Son, He gave Him up for us. How could we not want more and more people to come into the light and live a God-honoring life to Him? You see, when we understand the love of God, then we want all these things to be true in our own lives. That friend that I mentioned at the very beginning had a younger brother who was about five years younger. And when I was in college, I went on a youth ministry retreat and this friend's younger brother went and he was the kid who every leader wishes was not on the trip he made life miserable for everybody and somewhere along the way we had to begin to correct him and tell him no no, you can't live this way you can't treat other people that way if you're going to be here on this trip this is how you have to respect other people Somewhere along the way, he began to realize, you know, these people care about me enough to tell me this kind of living is destructive to me and is destructive to all my relationships with other people. And his behavior began to change over the course of that week because he realized people here actually love me. And the more the people of God soak up the love of the Heavenly Father, then they receive His rebukes and His correction. They receive His teaching and they say, I want to walk in His purity. I want to live in His light. And I want the rest of the world to do so too because I love Him so much. I want more and more praise to mount up for my Heavenly Father who didn't spare His own Son that I would have an eternal inheritance in Him filled with joy and pleasures forevermore. Friends, the more we understand the love of God for children like us, the more we want to be imitators of Him and live His life of purity. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You that Jesus is our great King, that He rules over our lives, and that He calls us back from a life of sin, that He warns us from its destructive powers, and yet He also reminds us that there is an inheritance waiting for us that will never fade or spoil or perish and that far surpasses anything that we could ever enjoy in this life. All because He loves us and means to do us good. Lord, we ask that You would help us to trust in Him and come to Him now as we come to His table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.